It was 10.10 a.m. on June 11, 2002, nine months to the day since the September 11th attacks. The senators and representatives filed into the room S-407 of the U.S. Capitol. All of them were members of a small elite group in Washington and were, by law, entrusted with the most guarded national security secrets of the U.S. government. I hereby move that this meeting of the committee be closed to the public, declared Republican Richard Shelby, the senior senator from Alabama, in a southern drawl, on the grounds that the national security of the United States might be compromised were a proceeding to become public. The motion was quickly seconded, and the secret hearing was underway. As the members of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence gathered in Washington, D.C., half a world away in Afghanistan, tribal and political leaders were convening Alaya Jirga, a grand council, that was tasked with deciding who would run the country following the swift overthrow of the Taliban government by the U.S. military. After 9-11, the U.S. Congress had granted the Bush administration sweeping powers to pursue those responsible for the attacks. The Taliban government, which had ruled Afghanistan since 1996, was crushed, depriving al-Qaeda of its sanctuary in Afghanistan. Osama bin Laden and other al-Qaeda leaders were on the run. But for the Bush administration, the long war was just getting started. At the White House, Vice President Dick Cheney and Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld were deep into planning the next invasion. Iraq. They had come to power with plans to topple Saddam Hussein in hand, and, despite the fact that there was no Iraqi connection to the attacks, they used 9-11 as the pretext to push their agenda. But the decisions made in that first year of the Bush administration were much bigger than Iraq, Afghanistan, or even al-Qaeda. The men in power at that time were intent on changing the way the United States waged its wars, and, in the process, creating unprecedented powers for the White House. The days of fighting uniformed enemies and national militaries according to the rules of the Geneva Conventions were over. The world is a battlefield, was the mantra repeated by the neoconservatives in the U.S. national security apparatus and placed on PowerPoint slides laying out the plans for a sweeping, borderless global war. But terrorists would not be their only target. The 200-year-old democratic system of checks and balances was firmly in their crosshairs. Room S-407 was nestled in the attic of the Capitol building. It was windowless and accessible only by one elevator, or a narrow staircase. The room was classified as a secure facility and had been fitted with sophisticated counter-espionage equipment to block any attempt at eavesdropping or monitoring from outside. For decades, the room had been used to house the most sensitive briefings of members of Congress by the CIA, the U.S. military, and scores of other figures and entities that inhabit the shadows of U.S. policy. Covert actions were briefed and debriefed in the room. It was one of a handful of facilities in the United States where the nation's most closely guarded secrets were discussed. As the senators and representatives sat in the closed-door session on Capitol Hill that morning in June 2002, they would hear a story of how the United States had crossed a threshold. The stated purpose of the hearing was to review the work and structure of U.S. counterterrorism, CT, organizations, before 9-11. At the time, there was a substantial amount of finger-pointing, 
regarding U.S. intelligence failures leading up to the attacks. In the aftermath of the most devastating terrorist strikes on U.S. soil in history, Cheney and Rumsfeld charged that the Clinton administration had failed to adequately recognize the urgency of al-Qaeda's threat, leaving the U.S. homeland vulnerable by the time the Bush White House took power. Democrats pushed back and pointed to their own history of combating al-Qaeda in the 1990s. The appearance of Richard Clark before the U.S. lawmakers on this particular day was, in part, intended to send a message to the congressional elite. Clark had been President Bill Clinton's counterterrorism czar and chaired the Counterterrorism Security Group of the National Security Council, NSC, for the decade leading up to 9-11.